Well, good morning, church. Oh, come on. I know we got masks on, but leave it a little louder. Good morning, church. There we go. Hey, good morning online. I'm so glad you're joining us this morning. I'm Pastor Chase. I'm the Connections Pastor here. And as Pastor Nate said, we're starting this new series called Redeemed. I am super excited to open this story up with, um, I will say this, it said familiar stories. Some of them might not be so familiar, but we wanted to cover a couple characters of scripture and just see the transformation that they had made and some mistakes they had gone through and how they rebounded from those. So I'm excited to start off our series this morning, but before I do, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. So bow with me one more time. Here we go. Father God, we're just so thankful we can gather here this morning. I pray that you be with me. Uh, God, I just pray that the uh, words that come through me may be from you and not mine. For yours are wise and mine are foolish. God, we pray that you be with everyone watching online this morning or watching in the audience live. Just, may we just take something from studying your word and worshiping the word this morning. Pray us all in your name. Amen. So we're starting off this series with redeemed. And I want to start off with this. Have you ever made a mistake? Think about that. Maybe, maybe your wife or your husband next to you will nudge you and tell you what that mistake was, but go ahead, think about that. Have you ever made a mistake? When I look back at my life, I mean, I've probably made one or two, but I mean, I know I've made a mistake. All kidding aside, I've made many mistakes, all right? I'll be the first to admit, in my house, I've probably made way more than my spouse has. Actually, that's a true statement. I have made way more than my spouse has, um, and she did not make me say that. But when we look back, ask yourself that question, have you ever made a mistake? And you know you've made a mistake when you go back and you look at it and say, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Let me start off this morning with talking about a mistake that I made unintentionally. Um, when I was between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I took up the opportunity to travel to China to be an English teacher in China. All right, And I believe that we have a picture of my class Oh, yes, yeah, so I'm the Caucasian blob right there in the middle, all right? So that's my, that's my class. Um, I had 20 students. I had 17 female and three male students. That's my translator there. Um, but I taught advanced English in China, meaning what that means is their parents paid for them to go learn from an English speaker conversational English. I will tell you right now, every one of my students could write English better than I could, hands down. Um, so I was teaching a lot of... Um, American idioms and conversational English, so when they would travel over to here once they have a job and business, that they would be able to have a conversation with other American employers and, and business people. So that's why their parents put them in this program. Um, so with, with an ESL certificate, I, I taught a class over in China for a, for a summer. And while I was there, we taught classes in the morning, and then in the afternoon, we did something else. Um, they had asked us to start teaching American culture, so what it's like to be in the United States. So we had these culture days, and we had like things we'd pick out to talk about American culture, like birthday parties, family reunions, things like that that might seem like they're world-known, but no, it's really American culture. Um, American football, because if you say football anywhere else in the world, it really means soccer. Uh, so we talked about that. Well, there was one, one culture day where this mistake happened, and myself and two other male teachers were slotted, and we're all 19 to 21, to, to teach on American dating or relationships. And I'm sitting there like, man, you pick three males between 19 and 21 to teach that culture, that's probably a bad idea. Um, so as we're sitting there, and these students are allowed to ask any question they want, any question they want, they can ask. 
And so one of uh, the boys raised his hand and asked the question, and the question went like this. Um, you talk about dating, but how many people have you dated? I went ahead and took that one, and I, I gave an answer. My answer is not needed for this sermon. Only one person knows that, and that's my wife, and she's allowed to know that. You guys aren't, all right? So I, I gave my answer, and after that, I see my translator. Uh, she's about 5'1", Chinese lady coming at me. I'm like, when she does this, I'm like, oh, something's wrong or something's about to be wrong. And she has this conversation with me, and I can tell she's nervous. And I'm like, okay, hey, what's going on? Well, what you said there. And I'm like, well, no, just tell me what I said that was wrong. And she goes, Chase, when you say that you dated that many people, they will automatically assume that you were intimate with all of those people. And I'm like, oh, hey, let's go fix that. Let's, somehow let's go fix that, because that's not true, so let's go fix that. And, and you know, what's funny is, that's just a, a, a mistake that was made that I had no intention of making because we all have different ways of knowing things. We all have different ways that we, we hear knowledge, and also we have different ways of reading Scripture even. I might read a verse from Scripture, and then Pastor Nate might read that same verse, but we might get two different things out of that, whether it's application or some background. And that's the same thing when we talk about other cultures, so as I made this embarrassing mistake, which, by the way, was remembered by all the other teachers at the school and reminded to me every single day for the next month, which is all good, but it's all in good fun, but that's a mistake that I have made. And this morning, I, I want to talk about someone from the Old Testament that made a mistake. And you might not know who this person is. The person I want to talk about this morning is King Jehoshaphat. And in order to talk about Jehoshaphat, first off, show of hands. Who's heard of Jehoshaphat? Anybody online? Raise your hands. So this morning we're talking about King Jehoshaphat. So what you need to know is a little bit of lineage here, all right? So Jehoshaphat's father was Asa or Asa, and then his son was Jeho uh, Jehoram. And we'll talk about those two characters in a second. But Jehoshaphat falls in the middle. His reign happens between 911 and 841 B.C., and we're talking about a time that there's two different kind of kings for all the land here in the Middle East that we're talking about. So kings of Judah, these three were kings of Judah. And then in the northern part, which is Israel, you have Ahab and Ahaziah, all right? So Ahab is the one I want to point out real quick. You might know Ahab because he was married to a person named Jezebel. Yes, that Jezebel. All right, so that's who Ahab's married to. And so to let you know, we have this divided kingdom. So go ahead and throw up the divided kingdom for me. And it looks like this. So Judah's down here to the south. The northern part does include Jerusalem. And this northern part is Israel. So after Solomon, we have a divided kingdom. And what we know is this. There were some good kings, but the only good kings came from Judah. Israel had no good kings. And the reason that was is because with the Assyrians to the north, they started honestly getting into idol worship, Baal. And Jezebel, who was married to Ahab, who was king in the north, she was so wicked, she was killing prophets of Yahweh from day one of her reign, having them just slaughtered. So Israel never followed God. The northern kingdom did not follow God. Another kings followed God. However, in Judah, we do have some good kings that did. Jehoshaphat's father Asa being one, and then Jehoshaphat himself being another. But even though Jehoshaphat was good, 
we've had some issues somewhere along the way. And so where we're going to be this morning is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So if you want to turn there, that's where we're going to camp out most of the morning. So go ahead and do that. And we're going to start uh, in verse uh, 2. Here we go. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazan Tamar, which is also known as En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. So you already see that this is Jehoshaphat, and he exalts God because he's calling on God because there's a need. People have come to Jehoshaphat and said, hey, here's what's going on. We got people coming to our borders, and they're going to kill us. And Jehoshaphat says, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go to God. You might be, man, Jehoshaphat's awesome. Has the redemption already happened? Has he already been redeemed? Because he seems to be on point with God. Well, to give you a little backstory, before this is happening, he happened to be in a battle before this. And he happened to align himself with Ahab, who was not a good king. And Ahab had talked him into wearing his robes, so when they were in battle, they thought, the people they were fighting against thought that Jehoshaphat was Ahab. And when Jehoshaphat's running away because this army's going to kill him, he sheds his robes and God protects him. And the army then turns and kills Ahab instead. So we see Jehoshaphat already had that mistake back then of, you know, he aligned with Ahab and shouldn't have done that. And obviously we know from verses 2 through 6, he learned. Because we see this, people are coming, and the first thing Jehoshaphat does is, we got to pray. we got to call on God. And, and what I love about this is you see it. The first thing he does is he exalts God. He exalts him. The God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? And just by saying that, in the context of this time period, what Jehoshaphat's saying is, Baal's nothing. These false gods are nothing. You are God Almighty. You are Yahweh who is in heaven. You have control. Man, all right, cool. So maybe this is a cool redemption story. But let's continue to see what happens. Verses 7 through 9 says this. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? Verse 8. They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying... If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. You hear that? The trust that he has in God? God, we, we recall that you gave, this, you gave this land to Abraham and his descendants. Who are we? We know that if we call on your name, we believe that you will come and you will save us. We've erected a temple that bears your name. 
man, Jehoshaphat sounds pretty, he sounds pretty solid. He sounds like he's got his stuff together. Already I'm thinking, man, maybe I should learn from Jehoshaphat. And this is a guy that we don't talk about much unless we're in, you know, in Kids Town or Highway 45. We don't talk about Jehoshaphat really. Not in big church, but man, what a cool story. What a cool guy to learn from. One of the good kings that was, you know, hey, we had wicked kings in the north, but he cares more about God. And then we have this in verse 12. As Jehoshaphat's continuing this. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our God, will you not judge them? What Jehoshaphat's doing here is he's saying, hey, God, we can't do this. We know we can't do this without you. Man, if, if, Joseph, if Jehoshaphat had Romans at this point, he'd be probably quoting, hey, I know that if I have Jesus, I can do anything. Oh, but only if I have Jesus. But Jehoshaphat's saying, I know that we cannot conquer this. I know we can't handle this distress. But here's the important part right here. The end of verse 12. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. There's an ending of a sentence that maybe we need to focus on a little bit more today in our world, amen? But our eyes are fixed on you. Let's be honest. There's a lot of calamity. There's a lot of disagreement. (laughs) There's about to be a lot more as we approach election season. But what's funny is we probably should ask ourselves, even as Christians, hey, where's our eyes fixed upon? Where are our eyes, where are your eyes, where are they fixed on? What, what do you gaze at? What do you keep focused on? Church, is it, is it the promotion at work? Is it, you know what, we need to have, you know, this many thousands of dollars in our savings account to know we're financially okay. Or maybe you're like, savings account, I just want to pay my bills. What, what are your eyes fixed upon? Is it that, man, I want my kids to go off to college and have great success, and that's where my eyes are solely fixed? Is it, no, I want my spouse to love me, I'm going to solely fix my eyes on them and demand that they do better? Is it that I want more from this job, more from this career? What are your eyes fixed upon? Because I want to tell you, if your eyes aren't fixed here, you're already wrong. Now, before you think I'm judging, I'm talking to myself. That that ain't always my go-to. I'll be the first to admit it. There are times when I deal with pressure or stress that my first go-to ain't that. As a direct person, I'm a direct personality type. This is who I am, all right? I'm very black and white. And I'll be the first to admit, sometimes in younger and in my anger, if I was having an argument with somebody, you could ask me what I was thinking, and my thought would be this back in some younger days of, man, what would be the jugular that I can go for right now? That's, serious, that's how I would think. Because I do care about winning the debate. I do care about having the disagreement and knowing that I came out ahead. But that's not okay. That's not giving God glory. That's giving myself glory. So what are our eyes fixed on? Think about that for yourself for a second, church. As we look around in our world today, is it on divisiveness? I mean, let's, let's talk about, like, you know, be honest. 
the church, as the church, we, we try to make sure that we reach out to all people. So we have a first service that's mass and a second service that's not mandatory. Because we, we have disagreement, but like my, it's okay to have disagreement. Hear me on that. But if the disagreement is what our eyes are fixed on, it's wrong. We should be able to enter conversation together and say, man, we both love God, so we love each other. Now let's talk. Don't we need more of that? And so let's talk about this because, you know, we already talked about how Jehoshaphat, man, great guy, calls on God. Something's going on. The first thing he does is he calls out to God. You're, you're probably thinking, man, did he do anything wrong besides that one thing with Ahab? Well, let's talk about it. Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 35-37. 35 says this, Later Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, made an alliance with Ahaziah, king of Israel, which is Ahab's son, by the way, whose ways were wicked. Verse 36, he agreed with him to construct a fleet of trading ships. After these were built at Ezion Geber, Eliezer's son of Davidu and Marashah prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, because you have made an alliance with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. The ships were wrecked and were not able to set sail to trade. So because here's the mistake Jehoshaphat makes. Yet again, he aligns himself with someone who is not of God and goes for some other kind of glory that's not God's. Nowhere in Kings or Chronicles can I tell you exactly what the sin is that Jehoshaphat committed. But what I can probably do is this. With some deduction, I can say, hey, he stopped fixing his eyes on God. And all of a sudden, something else became more important. Whether it's, hey, I want to be in good with the king of the north. I, I want the king of Israel to be okay with me. And so let's do this together. Let's partner up. I don't want to be alone. Let's be honest. We've all had those moments of, I feel alone. And we make mistakes sometimes in that feeling. But that's what Jehoshaphat does. He sides with this wicked king of the north who is the son of Ahab and Jezebel, who has slaughtered prophets of God, erected statues to Baal, has plenty of Baal worship going on, has nowhere near drawing to God. Sin is rampant in their land, and that's who Jehoshaphat lines himself with. And maybe what we need to say is this, all of us lose sight of God at some point. Guys, that's truth. As a pastor, I will tell you that's truth because I know that everyone on this staff at the church has done that before. We all have that in our story. We've all lost sight of God at some point. And if, and if you're going to look at me and say, you know what, Chase, I really haven't, then I would tell you you probably struggle with a different problem. Hear me on that. There's times when we all have temptation that we all lose sight of God at some point. Sometimes our kid becomes a priority. Sometimes our spouse becomes the priority. Sometimes this addiction becomes the priority. Sometimes that deep sin that's in our closet that we want no one else to know about, it takes the highlight above God. Like I said, I don't know what yours is, but what I'm saying is we all lose sight of God at some point. And as we look at this, 
you might ask yourself, where is the redemption then now for Jehoshaphat? Because if you don't know the end of Jehoshaphat's story, we have this text where he sides with this evil king of Israel. And the next text, right in the beginning of the next chapter, talks that Jehoshaphat died. His last recorded act that we have in 2 Chronicles is he does this deal and then the ships are destroyed and then some days later he's dead. And he might be, man, that's depressing. I thought this sermon series was about redemption. Where's the redemption? Where's that at? Because what happens after Jehoshaphat's gone? What happens after Jehoshaphat's gone is Jehoram, who is his son, comes into power. And when his son comes into power, what his son does is this. His son slaughters every sibling he has to make sure power can't be ripped from him. So you have the grandfather and this father who have followed God, then all of a sudden this third generation says, hey, power's mine, you're all dead, talking to brothers and sisters. And that's what happens. And then we're left thinking, man, Jehoshaphat failed. We don't see redemption. And now we have an evil king now in the south who's Jehoshaphat's son. Where's the redeeming part of the story? And it comes after Jehoshaphat has been dead. And here it is, 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 12. Jehoram received a letter from Elisha, the prophet, which said this. This is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. You have not followed the ways of your father Jehoshaphat or Asa, king of Judah. What? What did I just say? You have not followed the ways of your father Jehoshaphat? Hear me on this. It will be the most intelligent thing I say all morning. Jehoshaphat made an error. He made a mistake. He lost sight of God. But somehow, the prophet of God doesn't remember him that way. Do you feel that? Because let me tell you what that is. You know what you feel there? That's redemption. That's forgiveness. Side note. When I talk to couples in premarital counseling or when I have couples come to me for some, some marriage counseling, I, I get asked all the time, what is the one thing we need to make our marriage work? And most couples look at me in the face and say, I know what it is. We need love. And I laugh because that's not true. You can be married to someone and have a healthy marriage and love not be the driving force. Then you might be like, oh, it's work. No, no, it does take work. If you want to know what keeps the healthy marriage together, it is the act of forgiveness. Because guess what? Each of us in that covenant of marriage is going to screw up. Men, you already know that. Ladies, you're going to do it a couple less times than you're probably your men are. But I'm serious. Forgiveness is what keeps that covenant together. And what's awesome about that, what do you think keeps our covenant together with God? The fact that we have forgiveness of our sins through who? Jesus. It's not how much we work at it. It's not, man, if I do some evil deed or I make a mistake, i got to repent right there. Because if something happens between that evil deed and me not repenting and I die, where am I going? Guys, that's really bad grace. 
When we have that thought of, oh, if I sin before I die and I don't repent at that very moment, church, we've lost the point of something. If you've given yourself over to Christ, if you've repented, stop thinking that's workspace because it's not. What matters is that we keep our eyes fixed on God and he knows that there's going to be times when we're going to fall. Why? Because we're people and we live in a fallen world. I'm not giving you excuses to go sin, but what I'm saying is stop railing on ourselves so much. For some of you, you might need to hear that. It's okay that you failed. Talk to God, let it go. And so we see Jehoshaphat. He made a mistake, and all of a sudden we think that maybe that's what he's going to be remembered by, but for some reason the prophet Elijah comes out and says, no, Jehoram, you did not follow the ways of your father. Because guess what, church? God judges not the part, but the whole. I think we have this fear sometimes, and maybe it's just me, maybe because I'm crazy and I have this irrational fear. But like, we're all going to get to heaven someday, and God's going to play your worst moment in life in front of everybody. Like, some of us have that fear for some reason, which is ridiculous. Because we know when we give up things to God, burns them like incense and cast them into the crystal sea, they're gone. Guys, that's called guilt taking over. That's called shame taking over. That's not redemption. That's not true grace. And I'm so glad that God judges not the part but the whole. It's kind of like this. I'm going to play a short little clip for you. It's kind of like this. You see nothing. It's blurry. It's gross. And then all of a sudden, you see beauty. Church, that's us. If you focused on one moment of my life, I guarantee you some of you would be appalled. Some of you would just be appalled by it. Be like, man, I can't believe he did that. We do the same thing to ourselves. But luckily, we have something. Romans chapter 3 tells us this. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, let's talk about that. What does that look like? For those of you who don't know, um, when we prep for sermons, whoever speaks on stage, we try to do what we call sermon team the week before. So you're not hearing the message for the first time. Already some of the staff members have heard this message. And as I was preaching this message on Thursday to some staff, uh, one of them said, you know what, it'd be a good idea, Chase, for you just to share just a moment or a mistake that you've made that just, if people shine a light on it, they would see evil or they'd see something not good. I said, all right. So at the beginning of this message, I talked about a, a mistake I made unknowingly. But let me talk a little bit about something else. When I was young and I was growing up, I mean, there was some, there was some friction and tension in my family. And I'm not going to say that I had the worst family because I definitely didn't. There's definitely worse out there. Um, but my father liked to drink a fair amount when I was younger. And, and that turned into some other problems. And you might be like saying, Chase, well, that's his problem. That's not you. How's that your mistake? Let me tell you where my mistake was. Because of that, I turned bitter and I turned wicked and I, I turned just angry about that situation. There were years of my life where I didn't want to see the guy. I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to have a relationship at all. 
And, and let me tell you what flipped that. I went off to Bible college, so it didn't, I didn't have a change to Bible college. And I started talking through the word, talking about what redemption is, talking about forgiveness, what true forgiveness is. And I remember somebody calling me out and preaching and just saying, you know what, Chase, if you're going to call on people to ask for forgiveness and forgive other people, you need to go ahead and forget the trash that's your baggage and forgive that. And at that moment, I was like, you know what, you don't know me, boom, I won't talk to you anymore. Because that's how we are, guys, we are that way. But then as I started thinking about it, I said, you know what, yeah, you're right, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I remember my first year of college, I did not talk to my father for a year, really at all. And then all of a sudden, what turned my opinion is because my mom stayed with him for many years. I never knew why. Saint of a woman. And then I realized that that was love. She worked on it and forgiven him. And I could not. The great part of that story is that, like, today, 10, 12 years later, I have the greatest relationship with my father that I ever have had. And the reason I have that is because I was willing to let that go and offer forgiveness. Guys, but I'll be honest with you, that's not an easy flip the switch. That took me years. And I struggled with anger for years. Struggled with a temper for years. Struggled with bitterness for years. And that took a lot out of me. But man, I'm so glad that somebody had that conversation with me, broke me down and said, you've got to do this. Because that's what redemption looks like. You know, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, he says this, To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Now, I want to stop for a second. And we've been talking about this word redemption, where we get the word redeemed from, and we need to talk about what that word means. What that word means, if you look it up in any, any dictionary or Bible commentary, what you're going to find is a release or you're going to find saved. Or you're going to find ransomed. Not deserving it, but we have it anyway. And you might be saying, well, Chase, that's not for me. I don't think that's for me. I've done too much. I've gone too far. I don't think I can be redeemed. Well, let me tell you something. I think the scripture would tell you you're wrong. And how I would say that is this. Look at some of these words. Which he has freely given to us. In him we have redemption. He lavished upon us. He's making it known to us. Maybe some of us in here need to replace the word us and has saying me. He's lavished on I. He's given me redemption. He's saying I can be changed. Because that's what Paul's saying in Ephesians. And why do we need that change? We need that change for the forgiveness of sins. That's why we have redemption. That's why we're in need of redemption. All of us. All of us. So redemption is this aspect of knowing that it's nothing we can do, but somebody interceded on our behalf, and we paid nothing. We get to have that release. We get to be saved. We get to be ransomed. Because somebody did something for that. Well, how do you get that redemption? 
Church, it comes one way. It comes one way. And that's through the cross. Okay, well, well, that's churchy. Well, how do we still get that? Well, it comes from us submitting our will and saying, God, I want to know you and I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want to submit my will to him. I want to stop fixing my eyes upon other things and I want my eyes to be solely fixed on you. And it's going to be Jesus that keeps us in that spot. Church, we look at the end of the life of Jehoshaphat and we saw that he made, it, he made an error. He lost sight of God and then he died. But what's funny is the prophet Elijah comes along and says, you know what? He followed God. Yeah, he made a mistake, but he had some great reforms. He made sure to protect the temple. He made sure to praise God. When things were going wrong, he called out to God. He showed faithfulness. And his life, his legacy is not going to be defined by this one error, this one mistake. And church, neither is yours. God doesn't do that. Yes, God is just. Yes, God is grace. Yes, God is mercy. He is all those things. He's all-encompassing. He's not that vengeful to take one thing that you've done and said, you're not good enough for me. Because if you've called on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, it has been paid in full by the blood of the cross. And church, you can have redemption. All you got to do is want it. So do you want it? It's yours if you want it. So this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity. The opportunity I'm going to give you this morning is you have that opportunity to say, you know what, I need to be done. I need to fix my eyes on God, be solely fixed on him, and I need to be done with this life. I need to be done with what's going on. So there's going to be a couple things I'm going to give you this morning. If you say, you know what, I've never done this before. I've never submitted my will to God's, and I've never called on Christ to be my Savior. If that is you, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a minute, but after service, you need to find who's at Connection Central. It'll either be myself or Kyle. Just talk to one of us. We just want to have a conversation with you. And there's going to be another opportunity in there, but you'll hear it as I talk about it. But I'm going to go ahead and we're going to pray now and listen for the opportunities I'm going to give you. So let's go ahead and bow our head. God, we just call on you. We look back thousands of years and we see this story of Jehoshaphat who honestly probably looks a lot like us, knows you but still makes mistakes, but you still redeem God. God, we're so thankful to have grace. We're so thankful that we have your grace, that you ransomed us. God, as we talk about this this morning, as we pray about this, I thank you for that free gift that all we have to do is call upon your name and repent and bring your son as our savior into our life. So God, this morning, I'm going to just pray for any individual in here that wants to make that decision for the first time. As all they're going to do is they're going to raise a hand out to you this morning. They're going to raise a hand up and say, you know what? I want to be known for the first time. I want to know who God is. I want to know that Christ is my Savior and I want Him in my life. I'm going to let them go ahead and do that this morning.
God, I ask you to be with those individuals. I ask you to, as your son enters in their life, as they call upon his name and say, I want to serve the risen Savior and I want him in my life. May we know that we have that and we have grace to be saved. God, I also am going to offer up this. For those of us in the room that said, you know what? My eyes have not been fixed on you for a long time, God. And I need to be fixed upon you again. Maybe it's because all that's going on in the world, I've been distracted and I've lost my discipline. I'm going to ask those individuals that say, you know what? I need to just get back to God. I'm going to let those individuals go ahead and just raise a hand up to you this morning, God. That commitment that I want to reconfirm myself and be dedicated to you more fully. I see you. Let me pray for you. God, I ask you that these individuals surround their lives with people that hold them accountable and may they truly keep their eyes fixed on you because we all lose sight at times. But reaffirming them the fire that burns down deep in their soul that they are loved by you, that they are your workmanship and hold them tight with you. God, and lastly, I lift up everyone in the room that's just going through just trauma or discord in their life. Maybe there's some just bad relationships. Maybe it's a parent relationship. Maybe it's a child. I ask that you be with those. Reconcile those relationships. Have the redemption in there because we know that all glory belongs to you. God, we are in awe of you because without your son, we would not live in the grace-filled world that we live in. We're so thankful that we can be redeemed by the blood that's on the cross, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.